You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. We finished chapter 19 last Sunday, and we saw at the end of that chapter that Paul, in his teaching, had caused a great riot in Ephesus. And the riot was because the pagans were upset that he had brought charges against their idols, them selling idols and their pagan gods. So here we begin in verse 1. When the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and left for Macedonia. In verses 2 through 3, says he, in verse 2, he encouraged the believers in all the towns he passed through. Then he traveled to Greece, and he stayed there for three months. And then he discovered there was a plot against his life. So, and that was by the Jews, by the way, and not the pagans. It was by the Jews. So he leaves and decides to return through Macedonia. Now, one, one point I want to point out here, and you'll see in verse 1 and verse 2 that Paul encouraged the believers. As he's passing through the towns, he finds the believers. The churches that he had helped started, he encourages the believers. In, in King James Version, it says, with many words. What encourages you? What is the thing that brings you the most encouragement? Through so Paul was bringing encouragement, he brought them encouragement with God's word. Were you encouraged this morning by the, the song service? Were you encouraged? Did that uplift you? You know, we, we sing to glorify God. We are worshiping God, and that worship should uplift us. It encourages us. But God's Word has everything in it that we need for life. And sometimes when we need the most encouragement, we go further away from God's Word as we can get when we should be going to the Word. Get in the Word, and that encourages us. But Satan tells us, you need to find encouragement somewhere else. And we think about when Jesus was dealing with Peter, and, he tell, and Peter didn't have the right attitude, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Those are words that we're to use when we're facing discouragement. But getting to the word, that's what Paul brought to them. And it says, as he found out he was, the plot was against his life, he left. In verse 4, it said several men were traveling with him. Now, the reason they were traveling with him, he had, got, he had gotten representatives from the different churches in the area. This is Asia Minor, churches he established. And they got several men to go with him. And what they were doing, they were collecting money to carry back to Jerusalem. This was Paul's last missionary trip, they call it, the third trip. He's going through Asia Minor, through Greece, and he's going to head back down into Jerusalem. The church of Jerusalem was suffering from persecution. They were actually in hiding. And Paul and these men were going to take money to them. Help the people get through tough times. 
So as we get into verse 6, we see that he boarded a ship at Philippi, and he goes on to Troas. And in verse 7, the first day of the week, we gather with the local believers to share the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them, and since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking into midnight. See, this is the first certain example we have of Christians, believers, making a practice together on the first day of the week. Why the first day of the week? Why is that significant? We know under Jewish law, they worship on the Sabbath. And it was a day of rest and a day of worship. But Christians worship on the first day of the week, Sunday, which was a work week to these people. So they would meet in the evening after they got off work when they would worship, when they would gather together for the Lord's Supper. But the reason, the reason that it was the first day of the week is because that's the day of the resurrection. That's when Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb on the first day of the week. And we come together on the first day of the week to worship. We are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are celebrating our future resurrection. That's how important it is to be together, to worship together as a church body on the first day of the week. We are here to remember the resurrection, to celebrate the resurrection, to sing praises to God, and then hear a message of truth. Does that make sense? There's the motive. So as Paul began to teach, remember this is after all these people gotten off of work, most likely. And said he talked for a long time. Let's say he had already been preaching around six hours. And upstairs, the upstairs room where they met was lighted with many flickering lamps. And as Paul spoke on until midnight, a young man named Eutychus, sitting in the windowsill, became very drowsy. Finally, he fell asleep and dropped three stories to his death. What happens next? Paul goes down. I'm sure there was quite a bit of chaos going on in the room as people realized this man had fell out of the window. They run downstairs. Paul gets down there to the young man. He bends over, he puts his body on him, and he embraces him. And he says, don't worry. He's alive. Do you remember in 1 Kings chapter 17 where the prophet Elijah stretched himself over a dead boy? Three times he stretched himself out over this boy, laid on him, and prayed to God to raise the boy from the dead. Do you recall that story? And what happened? God gave the boy life. He brought him back from the dead. Here Paul runs down. And this is not by chance that he responded in this way. This man was a scholar of scripture. He knew scripture. And he laid himself over this young man just as Elijah had done over that boy. And he prays. 
And then he tells the people, he has life. And then they all went back upstairs, including the dead, the boy had been dead. He's ready for here some more. They all go back upstairs and Paul continued talking until dawn. He talked all night until the morning. And these people had to go to work. They hadn't been home. And the reason they stayed is because Paul was leaving. He'd never see him again. And he was giving them the message of life. So then we see in verse 16 that Paul sails away. And he's going to Miletus. Here we're going to get a picture of Paul the pastor. We're going to see him as a leader and shepherd of God's people. We think of Paul being that guy who, who's going to confront and hammer home God's truth to those who don't believe. But we're going to see now how he deals with God's people. So here, from Elitus, he calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus to come see him. That's a 50-mile trip, and these guys are going to have to walk it. So 50 miles of traveling, these elders of the church at Ephesus would have to travel. And as Paul begins this message, he's going to teach the attributes of effective ministry. And by the way, this is the only recorded message in Acts that was given to an audience of believers. All the other messages that Paul delivers that is recorded, he was delivering to non-believers. Here, he's going to talk about believers. And he called for the elders. And there are, other, there are three other terms that are used throughout Acts that describe in other New Testament passages to describe these leaders. Elders, overseers, shepherds and or pastors so they they arrive in verse 18 and he declared to them you know that from the day i set foot in the province of asia asia until now i have done the lord's work humbly with many tears i have endured trials that have come from the plots of the jews see paul had lived among these people they watched his life and he had lived an open life. They knew everything about him. And he tells them, I have served with humbleness. Being humble is a key aspect of ministry. Whether you're a leader in the church, such as an elder, or you're involved in a ministry that we have here, humbleness is a key. Ministry of being on the worship team, the ministry of benevolence or missions that we have going on, humbleness. And if anyone seeks the limelight, they're not humble. Anyone seeking power is not humble. And Paul didn't act like a religious celebrity from town to town he went. And he didn't expect people to serve him and honor him. He just wanted to serve the Lord with all humility. In 3 John 
chapter 1 and verse 9. John writes this, I wrote to the church about this, but Diotrephes, who loves to be a leader, refuses to have anything to do with us. There are men and women out there who are leading churches that love to be a leader, who love to be in the limelight. And if they're challenged for their power, they'll cut off that person like cutting off the head of a snake. Because they want to be in control. They want to be in power. And that's not being humble. And that's not being godly. And one of the basic reasons that God established an eldership to lead a church is that we multiple leaders. Not one. Any one man or woman who leads a church is in danger of falling into the power, the trap of power. That they want to lead and be the only one who's in charge of that body. And we're conditioned in our society to look up and say, well, I, I want to be a, at a church where there's a pastor. I want my pastor. Well, that's ignorance of the scripture, of understanding how God planned the church out to be. We have a checks and balance system among our eldership here. And before we make a decision here and go with it, we, every, the, all the four of us have to agree. If one of us doesn't agree, we don't do it. And that's how we operate. God placed a system in that needs to be followed in churches. Now, verse 20. I never shrank back from telling you what you need to hear either publicly or in your homes. I, I'm a man that follows this policy. I have found out in my life, it's a lot better for people to understand what really what you need to, what I'm thinking, than to try to dance around it. When it comes to matter of God's truth, we're going to present the truth as it is written. Not my opinion. So Paul has said, I've never stopped from telling you what you need to hear. He didn't limit his message. He didn't limit his message for the audience. He didn't preach the word of God to try to soothe people. He preached it to tell them the exact truth of God. He proclaimed the whole counsel of God. And that's what we must do in the Lord's church, the whole council, not part of it, not what society tells us we should be saying, but what the Bible teaches. And he says in verse 21, I have one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in the Lord Jesus. I have one message, repent from sin and turn to the Lord Jesus in faith. Now listen to this. This is the amplified version of this verse. But constantly and earnestly I bore testimony both to the Jews and Greek, urging them to turn in repentance that is due to God and to have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ that is due Him. Repentance from sin is what God is due. 
Faith is what Christ is due. I think that's a good way of putting it. The message is the same for everyone. Doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, what they are doing. The message is the same. To repent from sin. Then turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Repent. Repent from sin. Now in verse 22, Paul says, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, and I don't know what awaits me. It says in 23, except the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. He just doesn't know what the suffering is going to be. But you know that in, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 42 times. 42 times. This book could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Paul says the Holy Spirit is telling me that suffering lies ahead when he, goes, when he gets to Jerusalem. Uncertainty doesn't move Paul. It doesn't change him. When we're faced with uncertainty, can we just turn it over to God? And say, I don't know what's fixing to happen, but I place myself in your hands. Can you do that? Have you been faced with a situation that you had no other recourse but to do that? In Psalm, David writes this, Psalm 16, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand and I shall not be moved. You know, Paul, what, what Paul Young is, is facing, he hasn't been moved. His faith is stable. He has put himself in God's hand. And we pray you continue to do that, brother. When you're faced with difficulties and you don't, you're uncertain, do not move. Do not move because... The Lord is always beside me. Always. And Paul lived this. In verse 24, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. When we approach someone that wants to know more about the gospel, how do we start? Do we start with the message of grace? Or does that get left out? The message starts with grace. I'm going to tell you what God has done for me, and I didn't deserve it. See, that's grace. I'm going to tell you about the grace of what I didn't deserve. That Christ died for me, a sinner. That's the grace of God. And that Jesus rose from the dead for me. That's the grace of God. Paul says, telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And now I know that none of you whom I preach the kingdom will ever see me again. Paul knew he wouldn't see these people because death was going to be coming. Verse 26, 
I declare today that I've been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. He has brought the message. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. When we stay in the scripture, we're going to find out what God wants us to know. He had taught them the whole counsel of God. It took him three years to take him through, as we would call, verse by verse, through the Old Testament, and then revealed to them the news of Jesus Christ. Many preachers today simply use a Bible text as a launching pad. They'll pick out a scripture and take off in a direction to say what they want to say and what they think people want to hear. The real calling of a preacher, the real calling of a pastor is simply let the Bible speak for itself and let it declare its own power. That's what we're to do. The whole counsel of God is Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus is the atonement for the sin of man. And we teach what sin is. It is rebellion. It is disobedience against God. And we teach repentance of sin. Faith. What faith is. Faith is Jesus Christ. We teach the grace and mercy of God. We teach how to surrender our lives to God. We teach how to grow in faith. We teach how to follow the Holy Spirit. And we teach how to love God and serve others. The whole counsel of God. Not bits and pieces that seem to tickle the ears of an audience. So Paul instructs the leaders of these Ephesian Christians, these leaders, in verse 28. So he says, so guard yourself and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. This church belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to a man. It is, we are the flock here. And he says, pay attention to your own life as elders and leaders. You have a high standard to fulfill. And that standard isn't perfection. That standard is high, but it's not perfection. And you won't even... Come close to reaching that standard if you don't pay attention to your life. So a godly leader knows that effective leadership flows from his life, just not knowledge. There are people with PhDs in theology that don't understand the Word of God. Because the school they went to pushed them a certain direction. Be a scholar of God's Word by getting into the Word, reading, praying over it, and staying in His Word. And He tells the leaders, pay attention to the people. Love them, look over them, take care of them. And do it because the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's what He's talking about in verse 28. In verse 29, He says, I know that false teachers... Like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Paul is warning these elders to protect the flock. John went through the 23rd Psalm a moment ago. 
And I want to read verse 4 out of Psalm 23. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will, be an, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Think about that stick, that rod that that shepherd had. Some of these sticks they carried around had, had nails through the end of it. That rod was there to protect the sheep. The shepherd was to lead, but when an adversary comes along, a vicious wolf, they get out that rod and they protected that sheep. And at night when they brought the sheep in for the night to sleep, they brought them into an enclosure. Usually it was in a round enclosure with no top on it, just a short fence. And the shepherd would lay down in the gate opening to sleep, holding that staff or that rod. Anything that was coming in there to get the sheep would have to go through him. When Jesus talked, to, when David responded in the 23rd Psalm, says, your, rad, your rod and your staff protect me. That means that Christ uses the Holy Spirit to protect us. And when false teachers come, about and elders and leaders don't respond to that they are in sin stop it from happening stop it from taking place Jesus said in John 10 I tell you the truth I am the gate for the sheep we rely on him Verse 30, even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. See, that's their method. They would twist what was right, twist what was true. And they would draw disciples after themselves. See, their motivation was to have a following. Their motivation was selfishness. And Paul was warning against that. And then he tells them in verse 31, Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care of you, night and day, and my many tears for you. And as he's talking to these elders, he's reminding them, you, have, you must have the same care for the people I've had for you guys. In verse 32, Now I entrust you to God and the message of His grace that is able to build up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. Notice that verse. I entrust you to God and the message of his grace. That's what builds us up. That's what carries us through. And we must teach and preach that message. Paul went on to talk about that he never coveted wealth in verse 31. And talked about how he worked to supply his own needs. You know, we know he was a tent maker. In verse 35, he said, I've been a constant example of how you can help those by working hard. And when he finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. And they all cried and wept tears together. And they were sad because he was leaving. And, they, and Paul was on his way to Jerusalem. Now, Paul left them this message some 35 to 40 years later. 
after Paul had left and extended this message to these elders at Ephesus, Jesus wrote a letter to this church in Revelation chapter 2. He complimented them on several things. Their hard work, their endurance through difficult times, dealing with those who are evil, false apostles, not giving up when they were weary. But despite all this, Jesus gave them a warning. In Revelation 2 and verse 4, But I have this complaint against you. Now this is Jesus dealing with this church. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Some versions say you have left your first love. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. When churches fall, they have a sin problem. They have left their first love. We need to be mindful here of these words that we always put Jesus first in everything we do. It's not about a man. It's not about one of the guys that preaches here. It's about Jesus. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. We can't let that happen. We cannot let that happen. And we won't as long as we preach the truth and we live the truth in our actions and our words. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.